This morning's scripture reading is James 5, 13 through 20. So please turn to James 5, and I will read for you this morning's scripture. Church of God, this is the word of God, James 5, 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. May God have his blessing on his word. Amen, church. Can we just say amen together? Thank you, Ryan. Let's, uh, let's take a look at this passage together. Got your Bibles open, James. Five, starting in verse 13. I'm just going to go right into it. Is that all right with everybody? James says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. What's he telling us in verse 13, church? What's James telling us to do? Here's what he's saying. He's saying no matter what you're going through in life, the highs and the lows, however you're experiencing You process that in your relationship with the Lord. Things are going good for you right now? That's great. Sing a song of praise to the Lord. Pray it out before the Lord. Things are going bad in your life right now? Hey, you got to pray. You got to go to the Lord with that. If you're suffering in the good times and in the bad times of life, don't forget about the Lord. Process that in your relationship with the Lord. By the way, if things are going bad for your life right now, this word for suffering in verse 13, this is the generic Greek word, kakopatheo. Kakopatheo. Kako means bad. Patheo is derived from this word meaning passion or pain or suffering. So basically, something, something bad going on in your life right now? Are you, are you feeling something that's making you sad, making you despair? If you're in that situation right now, you need to pray. Something good going on, you need to pray. Something bad going on in your life, you need to pray. Everybody with me, right? Speaking of something bad, I remember even as a teenager, 25 plus years ago, and I remember I had to stay home from school once because I had this stomach ache that was so painful I couldn't even go to school. And, you know, that was unusual. I liked going to school. I couldn't play basketball. I liked playing basketball. I had to stay home. And I remember just agonizing in pain at my home, 9106 Marsh Drive in Austin, Texas. And as I was agonizing, I started to sing this song. 
I started to say, if I ever needed the Lord before, I sure do need him now. I just started singing this song over and over and over. And it would, my stomach hurt so bad I could barely sing that out through my tears. And I'll tell you right now, as I was singing that song, as I was asking the Lord for help, as I was crying out to the Lord, the pain didn't go away, not immediately. But, you know, I saw the Lord start to steady his servant. Even as a teenager, I, start, I saw him work me through that pain, through that struggle. Eventually, the pain did go away, and I never forgot that experience with the Lord. Here I am, 25-plus years later, telling you about it. What James is saying here, Harvest Decatur, what he's saying in the last few words that he has in the New Testament, in his book of James, is no matter what you're going through, in the good times and in the bad times of life, be quick to pray. Be quick to process what you're going through in a prayer filled relationship with God. Are you like that, Harvest Decatur? Are you quick to pray? You know, by the way, sometimes people run from God in the good times more so than in the bad times of life. I've seen that as a pastor. It's not just the bad times of life that that happens. Whatever you're going through, Harvest Decatur, you process that in your relationship with the Lord through prayer. The title of the message today is Healthy People, Healthy Churches. And I want to give you three things that healthy people and healthy churches do from James 5, 13 through 20. How's that? Everybody with me this morning? It's good to see your smiling faces this morning. And I'm glad to be back. I probably should have said that at the morning, but I was so excited about just getting into this, okay? Just so you know, we're doing good. Sonia's downstairs. Uh, I'm here if you want to yell unclean as we pass you in the hallway, that's fine. <laughs> but just so you know, we're, we're healthy, we're doing good. Sonia had a negative test this last week. Sonia, uh, Alistair and I have never had a positive test. I don't know why. Trusting the Lord with that. Let's get back to James 5, okay? So three words. I want to construct this message today around three central activities of a healthy church, okay? Intercession, confession, and intervention. Intercession, intercession, confession, and intervention. Let's start with this one, intercession. A healthy church is a church of intercession. A healthy church is a church that prays, that prays. James says in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. James takes the two opposite extremes of the human experience, and he says, you're over here, you're happy, pray. You're hurting, pray. And, and quite honestly, what he's saying here is everything else in between, this over here, this over here, and everything else, wherever you are right now, you need to process that in your relationship with the Lord. You need to pray. By the way, and that's, that's individually, certainly, I think that can be done personally in your devotional time of prayers with the Lord, but this is something corporate, too. This is something in the community as well at, at Harvest Decatur. We don't just come to church and listen to Pastor Tony preach for 40 minutes and then go home. I mean, that would, that would be good. Most weeks, I think that would be good. But we do more than that. What else do we do here? Why else do we gather? We pray. We cry out to the Lord for the needs of the church. What else do we do here? We praise and we sing songs of praise to the Lord. Why do we do that? Why don't we just come and listen to a sermon? Because we come and we hear from God's word. I'm not trying to put that down at all. But we also want to talk to God. This is a relationship. God talks to us through his word, and we talk back. 
we pray, we sing praises, we worship Him. Right, church? In this relationship, in this dynamic, corporately, with God and His people gathered for worship. This is what we do. Let's talk more about prayer. Look at verse 14. Healthy churches are praying churches. Healthy church is a church of intercession. James says, verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Anybody sick? So we got, we got three categories now. We had suffering in verse 13. We had cheerful in verse 13. And now we have sick. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call. Everybody seeing this? Verse 14. Everybody with me? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, this is a community thing, okay? You can't do this at home. Mommy and Daddy are going to bring the oil and lay hands on you. I mean, you can pray for your kids, yeah, but that's not what James is talking about right here. He's saying there is a time when you've got to go to the community of faith that you're involved in, the church, and you've got to go and you've got to ask the elders that God has put in charge of the church to intercede on your behalf. There is a time for that as a Christian. And let me just say this for the benefit of everybody here, okay? Everybody who's committed to Harvest Decatur, I want you to hear me say this. I'm going to go, I'm going to get really straight with you right now and direct. Your elders here at Harvest Decatur, I can speak on their behalf this morning. Your elders at Harvest Decatur will make every reasonable effort at any time and at any place to come and to pray for you and even anoint you with oil. If you ask us to do that, we will come and we will do that. We will make every reasonable effort to do that. Now, I say reasonable because if you're, if you're traveling to Papua New Guinea, we're not going to get on a plane and go chase you down, all right? We can't. That's not reasonable. We can still pray for you, but we can't anoint you with oil. And I, I say reasonable, too. I probably wouldn't have said this a few years ago. I mean, we as elders, we want to be conscientious about you know, the concern regarding communicable diseases and the risks associated with that. I mean, this, this, this is a whole new thing that I've been thinking through this last week. And I'll just tell you, I, I had an incident not that long ago, a couple months ago. I went to a hospital and wanted to meet with a parishioner who, you know, had had an accident and and the hospital wouldn't let me in to see because of obviously, you know, COVID-19 COVID regulations, and, and full transparency, I was angry at that hospital for not letting me in, and I actually texted some trusted counselors in that time, and they all kind of talked me down and said, Tony, just be patient, be understanding, you know, they've got a situation they're trying to handle, do the, you know, do the best you can, and I, I had to come down off of my high horse. So thank you for those of you who helped me do that. You know who you are. Let me say it again. We will make every reasonable effort as your elders to come and pray with you and anoint you with oil at your request. Okay? Everybody got that? Let's talk about this. Let's talk about anointing with oil. I know you got questions about it. What is that? Why do we do that? And why is it important? Well, first of all, it's a physical symbol. It's a physical symbol of the Lord's power and the Lord's provision in healing. Okay? It's a physical symbol. Can we remember Christ's death on the cross without taking communion elements, without taking the bread and the wine? Yes, we can do that. 
We can do that every day, all the time. But is it made more significant in those moments by symbolically eating and drinking? Yes, I think so. And I think that's why Jesus told us to do it, to do it in remembrance of him. And I think that that effect is similar when you anoint someone with oil, when you pray over them. So we do that as elders. We've done that as elders for people who have asked for it. Now, I need to clarify. Some people think that anointing with oil, that that's kind of a medicinal thing, that we're, we're healing or that was the the extent of healing maybe in the first century to apply oil to somebody's wound or something like that. I don't think that holds up to scrutiny, quite honestly. This is not a medicinal thing that we do. If you're sick and you want a doctor, call a doctor, okay? Don't call your elders. We're here to meet your spiritual need and to ask God for healing. We're not here to apply, you know, some pharmaceutical or, you know, essential oils or something like that. That's not going to happen. We're not here for that. So I, I don't think this is medicinal, and other people would say, well, it's not medicinal, but it's, it's, uh, it's sacramental what's going on here. This is a command for elders to give people, you know, last rites or extreme unction before they die. I don't think that holds up either. I mean, the anointing is to help heal, to help physically heal somebody and offer spiritual care as elders, not to prepare them for death. Okay, if you're not ready for death before I come and give you last rites, you need to get ready for death right now, okay? You, you don't have to wait for that. You don't have to wait for me to show up and lead you into eternity before you die. You know what? There's comfort in that because if somebody drops an atomic bomb on Decatur this afternoon and I get vaporized and you get vaporized, you don't have to worry about going to hell because Pastor Tony wasn't there to meet you before you went, went to, to eternity. Is everybody with me? You know what I'm saying? This is not sacramental. I don't administer last rites. This is about physical healing. This is about your elders spiritually meeting a need in your life, coming and praying for you so that you will heal physically. I, th I think we get that wrong in so many circles. Now, so it's not medicinal. It's not sacramental. What is it? So what is it? Why do we do it? It's symbolic. It's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. It's symbolic of the Lord's power being ministered in your life. Notice also in verse 14, let me just point out some other things here. Notice that the sick person calls for the elder. Y'all see that? The sick person initiates. I think that's important too. You know, the elders aren't supposed to be traveling around town like a traveling troupe of actors looking for a stage to perform on. You initiate. You initiate. Now here, I'll tell you what, let's make a deal. I'll meet you halfway, okay? I'll meet you halfway. Every Sunday after church, what? Your elders are up here. They're ready to pray for you. And, you know, I, I know how it is Sunday morning after a long message. Pastor preached a long time. You're like, man, it's a real step of faith to go up there at the end of the service and ask for prayer from your elders. I know that's a step of faith. But I'll just tell you, if you, you know, meet us here on Sunday. And if you have a need in that moment that we can pray for, that we can anoint you for, we're, we're ready and able to do that. We've done that for people before in the past. But before you do that, let me, let me give you some additional food for thought. Look at verse 15 with me. James says, verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save. Save or, or rescue or restore. This is not salvific here. This Greek word sozo has a wide semantic range, including physical and spiritual healing. Okay, so in the prayer of faith, we'll restore 
the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Let me, let me point out some important stipulations in this verse. First of all, notice that James says the Lord will raise him up. The Lord will, just like Jesus, raise people up in his ministry. Just to be clear, if we anoint you for oil, it's not the, it's not the prayers who are doing the healing. It's not the elders who are doing the healing. It's not the oil that's doing the healing. It's the Lord that does the healing. Now, can we be used as his, as, as his instruments in that? Yes. We can and we should, according to James 5. But it's the Lord that raises up. Are we clear on that? God does the healing. We don't do the healing as your elders. And then just another clarifying point. When we pray, we pray as Christ prayed, not our will but yours be done. This is what it means to pray a prayer of faith, that you're entrusting ultimately the final result to the Lord. Doug Moo says it this way. He says, A true prayer of faith, then, always includes within it a tacit acknowledgement of God's sovereignty in all matters. That it is God's will that must be done. And it is clear that it is by no means always God's will to heal those who are ill. Paul, just to clarify here, Paul prayed for the thorn in his flesh to be removed three times. Three times! Paul, Paul's a pretty godly guy, right? Pretty righteous. You know what God said? God said, no. God said, no, my, my strength is sufficient for you. In your weakness, my strength is sufficient for you. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, take this cup from me. God reserves the right to say no when we ask him for stuff. Doesn't he now? And to pray a prayer of faith as we do this, to pray in the name of Jesus, I think that's even built into that in the name of the Lord is to say Deo Valenti is to say not my will be done but yours God willing so if you come up here let me let me just be clear and you ask for your elders to pray we are going to pray we're going to ask God to heal you we're going to pray with passion we're going to pray with confidence we're going to pray in faith and then we're going to say in whatever way we say it Deo Valenti we're going to say, not our will be done, but yours, Lord. We, it's ultimately in your hands whether you choose to heal this person or not. Here's another thing that will happen if you come forward and ask to be anointed with oil. We will also ask you, is there any sin you need to confess before God at this time? And here's why we'll ask you that. Because James says this at the end of verse 15. He says, And the prayers of faith will save or restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if, that if is, a, is an important word there. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, let me be clear. There's no reason to assume if someone comes that, that sin is the cause of their sickness. There's no reason to assume that. Jesus made that clear, didn't he? In John 9, disciples were like, well, who sinned? This guy or his parents that he was born blind. Jesus said, nobody sinned. This is not about that. Everything is in effect, disciples. Okay, nobody sinned, but the power of God is about to be displayed in his life. So as elders, when you come up here and ask for prayer for a sickness, we're not going to be 
like Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar were to Job. And say, well, what you been doing? What caused this? You're sick, huh? Well, okay, well, what sin have you been doing to cause this? Come on, cop to it. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that because there's not always that cause and effect as it relates to sin and sinfulness, sin and, and healing or sickness. Now, just because it's not always the case doesn't mean it's not sometimes the case. And sometimes it is the case that sickness is linked to sin. I think the best example of that scripturally is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 10 in the Corinthian church. Some people there were weak and ill, and some even died as a result of their abuse of communion and getting drunk during communion. It was self-inflicted. It was completely preventable. I think it's important as we talk about this, too, that we differentiate. There is a difference between sickness that's the result of just original sin and the fallenness of our world and sin that is a direct result of your own sin. The person who has smoked for 50 years and has lung cancer is not the same as a 10-year-old boy who has lymphoma. That's different, okay? And if somebody is living a promiscuous lifestyle and they've contracted a venereal disease, it doesn't do any good to come forward and have them healed from that. They just go back to their promiscuous lifestyle. There's something bigger going on there than the healing that they need for their sickness. And you know what? Can I just let you in on something? Sometimes God uses affliction to get your attention about sin. Sometimes he does. And so we as elders of your church, I mean, our number one priority if you're coming forward is not just to get the sickness dealt with. Let's just get it over with as quick as we can. Let's get this person healed. There might be something behind there that's more important that we as the spiritual shepherds of the church need to say, hey, is there something on in, in your life right now that maybe God's trying to get your attention with, some sin? And, and if your answer is no, then okay. But we got to ask. I mean, to be honest, this is, this is super practical, really. I mean, if somebody's a serial adulterer coming to ask for healing, the biggest issue in their life is not the healing that they need physically right there. It's to deal with the sin in their life. That's the bigger issue. I mean, let's be honest about this, too. I mean, I'm just being straight with you. I, we can't heal people ad infinitum for the rest of their lives as you come forward, okay? Sooner or later, you're going to contract something that we can't heal you from, even if you are healed from time to time, and you're going to die, I mean, that's just the way of the world right now. And who wants to live in this world forever? Really? I mean, there will come a time. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to die. The only thing worse than dying is living forever in this world. So, I mean, there might, there's, my day will come too when I'll get sick. A sick that leads to death. And maybe the elders will be like, well, Tony, do you want us to pray for you? And I'll be like, heck no. I'm out of here, man. I don't want to be healed from this. What was I talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. Confession of sin. If you ask your elders to come and anoint you with oil for healing about an issue, we'll do it, but be ready. We'll ask you this question. Do you have something you need to confess? Do you think the Lord might be trying to get your attention with this sickness? Be ready for it. 
And to that you might say, well, whew, this is serious, Pastor Tony. Can I get ahead of that? Can I, I don't know, prevent that sinfulness from causing physical ailments in my life? Is there something I could do proactively? Yes, there is. I'm glad you asked. Here's the second characteristic of a healthy church. A healthy church is a church of confession. A healthy church is a church of confession. Is if the only time that you ever confess your sins to another Christian is when you come forward to ask for healing, that ain't healthy. You should be doing it with more regularity than that. And I'm not talking about a priest in a booth downstairs that you go confess your sins to. I'm talking about confess your sins to one another. I'm what am I talking about? I'm talking about verse 16. James says in verse 16, he says, Therefore, Ex amalegeo. That's the Greek. And it's a great word. Like, can we just say it together? Ex amalegeo. I don't hear anybody saying that. It's, it's right up there. Just say it. What does that word mean, Pastor Tony? Well, legeo means to speak. It, you might even see the word logos built into that. And hamoi means together. And ex or ek means out of. And I know it's dangerous to derive a word's meaning from its etymology, but I actually think this is one of those words where the etymology helps us understand what it's saying. What does ex amalegeo mean? It means to talk it out together. It means to bring it out together. It means to confess. Confess what, Pastor Tony? Talk, talk what out, Pastor Tony? Look at verse 6. Your sins, therefore, says James, in light of what I just said about healing, get out ahead of this and confess your sins to one another. And don't stop there. Don't let your small groups just be, confess, confess. Oh, I'm so glad we confess. No, pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, this is not meant to be limited to your elders before you get anointed with oil. This is a broad discipline in the life of the church. What's, what's James saying here? He's saying keep a short list of your sins. He's saying get other people involved in your own sanctification. Let people know what you're struggling with so that they can pray for you and you can pray for them. That is healthy. That is healthy in the life of the church. Let me just put it in living Bible for you here in the harvest context, all right? You get into a small group, you find trusted people, and you confess your sins to them. They confess their sins to you, and you pray for each other. You do that. It's good. You James 5, 16 together. Make a verb out of this. You do this in the context of the church. And to that, some of you might say, I don't do accountability, Pastor Tony. I don't do I just don't do it. I don't confess my sins. I don't do confidentiality. I don't do that. You know what they say, Pastor Tony? Two can keep a secret if one of them is dead. I don't do confidentiality. I don't do transparency. I don't do accountability. Well, too bad for you. Too bad for you. You are missing out on one of the great gifts that God has given us, the church. 
and the community of saints loving each other and carrying each, each other's burdens together. That is such a glorious thing. And if, you, if you've been involved in that and if you felt the liberation of that, not having to be alone, but, but leveraging the strength of other believers in a community to help you, that is so good. If you don't have that, too bad for you. Too bad for you. You know, I've been a pastor for a while now, and I'll just tell you, I've been pastoring for 12 years, preaching, getting up here and getting all crazy for 12 years, all right? And I know now, you know, what is it that keeps people from not cheating on their spouse and running away and leaving their children and chasing some sin fantasy in their lives? What is it that does that? I don't think it's me getting up here and preaching, thou shalt not commit adultery every week. I mean, I, I think that's good, and for some of you that, that might be enough, just hearing that. But others of you, you need people in your life to say, dude, you better watch yourself. You're getting off into something, and it could destroy you. You need somebody to come up, besides Pastor Tony, and, and speak to you and say, friend, you are involved in a little shop of horrors, and if you keep feeding that monster, it will destroy you. You need that. I need that in my life. We need James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then look at the end of verse 16. I think this is important too. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it, is work, as it is working. Let's talk about small groups for a second since we're already on that. I think, here's why I think James says this at the end of verse 16. You know, as, as elders, we, with your small group leaders, we, we vet them, okay? And we train them and we encourage them, and we trust them to lead a group. And we put a lot of authority, really, in their hands as they lead small groups. And, and we want them to be the kinds of people that James is talking about here, husbands and wives, both. The prayer of a righteous person has great powers as to work in. So, because our tendency, I think, even, even in this, you're like, all right, Pastor Tony, I should confess my sins, I should do that. Our tendency, humanly speaking, is to go find the worst sinner that we can find and confess our sins to that person. And then we kind of feel better about ourselves. Well, at least our sins aren't as bad as that guy. And we feel like the, the better person in that relationship. You know what James says here? He says, no, 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 don't, don't do that. You go find the, the righteous person. Go find the person of integrity. Go find the trusted person. Go, go find the person, either an elder and his wife or the person that the elder and his wife has trained and put in a place of leadership, and you confess your sins to them and ask them to pray for you. If, you really, if you're serious about this, if you're serious about spiritual health in your life, you'll go do this. And I go to the lowest common denominator of the person that you can confess your sins and still feel good about. Go to the person who is going to call you to a higher standard before the Lord. I think, I think we need that here, that little statement there. Why? Why do we need that? Why do we go to the person 
who is more righteous than us, and I'm not talking about righteousness through Christ imputed by faith in Christ. I'm talking about empirical righteousness as a result of that imputed righteousness. Someone who lives their life out in integrity and honor. First Timothy 3 kind of people. Why do we do that? Why would we go to that person and ask them to pray for us? Well, if I can... If I can go King James on you for a moment, it's because the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's why we do that. And speaking of a righteous man, look at verse 17. James says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You know, I go, James, I go King James when I want to emphasize something. James, the apostle, goes to the Old Testament when he wants to emphasize something. He's a good Jewish kid, grew up in the synagogue, and he gives us an illustration of a, of a man just like us who prayed, and great things happened for him. I was listening to Francis Chan this last week talk about James 5 in this passage and he said that James 5 17 and 18 he, he said that this is his favorite passage in the Bible James and I read it and I was like really really Francis Chan really shouldn't your favorite verse be like John three sixteen or something you know like this really do you know why he said that you know why Francis Chan said that Here's why he said that. He loves this statement in verse 17. A nature like ours. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Chan said the reason he loves this passage is because James is saying that Elijah, he was just like us. Just like, and, and we don't think of him that way, do we? We like to think of the people in the Old Testament like, like Spider-Man. They're superheroes. They did crazy stuff. We couldn't possibly do things like they do. There's no way that God answers our prayers like they do, like, like he did for them. And James says, not so fast, Christian. Now, now, hold on. Elijah was just like you, a man just like you. And in fact, Elijah, you know, he had his down moments of depression and despair he, he even felt like a failure sometimes. If you read the story about him, he, was, he had this crazed, despotic Phoenician queen named Jezebel who wanted him dead. And Israel was reigned, was ruled by this worthless king named Ahab. He, I mean, you think we have it tough where we're at right now? You should have lived back then. Elijah had it tougher, and yet he sought God and he prayed, and God did incredible things through his prayer. Even, even changing the economic circumstances of Israel as he prayed. I mean, when you pray, when you pray for a drought in Israel, that's like praying for economic devastation in Israel. They needed the rain. It's not like they had, you know, Lake Michigan right in the middle of Israel there for them to tap into. When you pray for a drought, it doesn't rain, people die. It's devastating, and, and Elijah did that, and then, and then he prayed for the rain to resume, and the rain resumed. Here's the point. 
God loves to answer the prayers of righteous men and women. He does. And we, just like Elijah, can bring our prayers before the Lord. Does that mean he's always going to answer our prayers? No. Does that mean that he's always going to answer our, our cries for healing? No. But healthy churches pray. They cry out to God in good times and bad. They cry out to God. And a healthy church is a praying church, an intercessing church, a confessing church. So let me just ask you, Harvest Decatur, right now, I want you to just search your heart in this. Respond to the words of God. How is your prayer life right now? How is it? Are you processing what you're going through in life in your relationship with the Lord? And then are you leveraging the church community through confession for the spiritual health of your life, your family, the, the church collectively? Are, are we doing those kinds of things? As a church? Listen, we planted a church 12 years ago. And one of our four pillars was prayer. We believe firmly in the power of prayer. You can see that in the foyer as you leave this morning. One of those pillars. You know, it's amazing. Even before this church met as a church, even before I got here as the pastor, in both Decatur and Arthur, this church was praying. They were praying. People were praying. You know, God has answered so many prayers throughout our 12 years, hasn't he? Just think back. Think about his mercy. Think about his goodness. And I think it could be easy. Now we're 12 years in. You know, we got our building, and, you know, we're paying it down. We're about to pay it off here pretty soon, hopefully, Lord willing, you know. And, and it might be easy. Well, let's just coast now. There's no need to pray, really. I mean, let's just do our baby dedications. Let's just show up at church. Let's just... Have a potluck every once in a while. Pastor Tony will preach and do his thing. Let's just do that. And, and I'm all for those things, by the way. On the potluck. Let's do it. But you know what? If we're not a praying church, we're failing at something. If, if that urgency still isn't inside of us, yeah, we got a building, so what? There are lost people in Decatur that need Christ. This isn't about a building. This is about doing the work of the Lord in the community where we're at. We need to pray. Don't we now? And we need it for our own spiritual health as Christians. Growing followers of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Now quickly before we're done, let me finish up this passage. And let me finish up the book of James too. I said at the beginning of this message, I want to give you three things that healthy people and healthy churches do. And the first was intercession. The second was confession. And the third is intervention. A healthy church is a church of intervention. James says in verse 19, he says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, I want to be clear here. I see these two verses as kind of the climactic statement, the bookend of the book of James, his final words 
that are summing up everything that he said in the book of James thus far. So I want you to think back to everything that's been preached in the book of James in the last two months. Think back to Ryan's sermon. Think back to Paul's sermon. Think back to Mike's sermon. Think back to George's sermon. Think back to Dawn's sermon. Think back to my sermon already today about prayer. Think back and, and just consider all of it. Are you doing that right now? Everybody thinking about that right now? You're like, Pastor Tony, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning. <laughs> to, the, to the best of your ability, think about it all, okay? Everything that's been said. You got it? Got it in your minds. Now let's read verses 19 and 20. James says, My brothers, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, if you see a Christian getting out of control with their tongue, which happens, if you see a fellow believer accumulating wealth and not using it properly or honorably before the Lord, James has some things to say about that. If you see a Christian saying they believe with their mouths, but not living it out with their faith, you know, faith without works. If you see somebody who is hearing but not doing the Word of God, James 1. If you see anyone wandering from the truth, James says, bring them back. Bring them back. That's another one of the advantages of the community of faith, the church. We help each other. We bring each other back. Come on now. You're wandering. Come on now. You're distracted from the things of the Lord. By the way, James is not just talking about elders here in verse 19. He's not, when he says, my brothers there, that's a gender-neutral term for the brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ, all of you. Look, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, all of you have a role in this. This is not, well, the elders will do this. No, this is all of us. We all have a responsibility here. And by the way, this is not for us to go be, you know, culture warriors out there against the world. This, he's not talking about the world. The world does not have an allegiance to Christ at all. He's talking about those of you who have allegiance to Christ. My brothers, those of you in the church, if you see a fellow brother or sister wandering, bring them back. Do everything in your power to bring them back into the fold. Let him know, this person who brings back somebody, that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This wandering believer, this is not a believer who's you know, just trying to follow Christ and making mistakes along the way. That's not, that's not what he's talking about here. Okay, you, you can deal with that in small groups as you confess sins to one another and pray for one another. That's not what he's talking about. He's, he's talking about somebody who's starting to drift from the Lord and from the church. Somebody who you look up and they haven't been to church in a while. Somebody who stops returning your phone calls or your text messages. Somebody who doesn't show any interest in the things of the Lord. You talk about the Lord with them, and they just change the subject as quickly as they can. They don't want to talk about it. You're talking about somebody who is sulky and sullen. Somebody who is lackadaisical and listless spiritually. James says, bring them back. What's our responsibility in that situation? Bring them back. 
You know, every once in a while, can I, can I just be honest with you? Not like I haven't been honest already, but a little more frank. When I'm tempted as a pastor, as a leader in the church, you know what I'm tempted to do? Let's just be more user-friendly as a church. Do we have to be so invasive? Can we, can we just, like, you know, everybody come to church, do their thing, pay their dues, and then go home? Like, it's, we don't need to be so serious about it. That's how I'm tempted as your leader. And, and then I read a passage like this, and, and you know, it's kind of like, Tony, you cannot allow the church to become that. That is not the way the church is designed. Church is invasive. Church is a community in the best sense of that world where we care for each other and we watch out for each other and we nurture one another. And there are times, even as elders, that we have to initiate because of systemic sin in a person's life, church discipline to bring them back to a place of repentance. That's not fun. I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't like doing that. But it's necessary for the spiritual health of the church. It's necessary for us as leaders to do that from time to time. Not to just bring judgment upon them, but to restore them, to restore them and protect the health of the church. Well, let's talk about saving a person's soul from death and covering over a multitude of sins. We need to be careful about this. When we go after a wandering sinner, we are not the ones that ultimately are responsible for bringing them back, okay? It's just like what I said earlier about the elders. If the elders anoint you with oil and you get healed. The elders didn't heal you. The Lord healed you. And it wasn't the oil that healed you either. It was the Lord that did that. And I think the same thing applies here. In verse 19 through 20, if you're involved in bringing somebody back and restoring them, a wanderer, just be careful. That's not ultimately you that's doing that. That's the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. And the Lord is using you. And we can be used as God's instrument in that process. We can be used by the Lord to restore a backslidden believer. David Platt says it this way. He says, The church is one of the God-ordained means God uses to keep us faithful. God is sovereign. And he does the preserving, but he does it through the church, looking out for, caring for, and loving one another to keep one another from sin. This is yet another reason we ought to be involved in the lives of others in the church. Amen and amen. Harvest Decatur. Let me say it one more time. A healthy church is a church of intercession. A healthy church is a church of confession. And a healthy church is a church of inter. These are the final words by the Apostle James in this great letter of his. These are the final words. Do you receive them, Harvest Decatur? Do you believe them? Now, I heard this said somewhere. Where did I hear this? Don't just be a hearer of God's word, but be a doer. Where did I hear that? Oh, that's right. That was in the book of James. You've heard these things, Harvest Decatur. 
Now do them. Do them. Amen. Let's oh God, it is good to pray. It is so good to pray and to sing to the creator of the universe. Lord, I wonder sometimes, why do you listen to us? Why do you love us so much? Why are you attentive to the prayers of human beings? We're so small compared to you, Lord. You are so vast and almighty and powerful, and we are so weak and small. Yeah, Lord, I'm reminded that even in our smallness, you love us. And you want a relationship with us. You want us to talk to you. So God, let your people talk. Let your people pray. I pray, Lord, that we as a church, individually and corporately, would be men and women of prayer. Lord, fire that up inside of us again, I pray. I pray too, Lord, that we would be the kinds of men and women, interventionists, if I can use that term, who step in when a wanderer is wandering and lead them back to the truth, lead them back to you, lead them back to the scriptures. God, do that work in our church, I pray. Thank you for listening to us. We're going to worship you now, Lord. Receive our worship. We pray in your name. Amen.